good morning, everyone. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't join in. There's been a lot of well-wishing, but happy Father's Day. Uh, my beautiful girls already made mine special and happy, so I hope you have a happy Father's Day. And we're glad to see everybody. We've got a good number of people here this morning. We're glad you're here. I know we have visitors, and we're certainly grateful for your being here. And I hope you'll want to come back and be with us often. Um, but glad you're here. This morning we're going to continue our study. In fact, I am, for my part, going to sort of wrap this quarter up. Our official wrap-up will be next Sunday, and Wes will be preaching next Sunday morning. I want to tie some things together, and in, and in fact, I'd like to tie them back to the themes and the points of emphasis from the last couple of years. So you'll see some of that as well. But we are talking about the Lord's Church, and we are talking about different aspects, identifications, if you will, things that ought to mark uh, a church that belongs to the Lord. And certainly one of those things would be truth in the Lord's Church. Upon this rock I will build my church, and there should be truth, obviously, within it. So as we pursue that, I want to talk about disseminating the truth. Now, of course, big word, but here's what it basically means. The truth is the seed, the Word of God. And when we disseminate it, we scatter it, we give it out, we put it forth. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning in our responsibility of disseminating the truth. And uh, hopefully this thing will warm up here <laughs> and uh, go with the clicks. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4. I said last Sunday morning as we introduced that passage that that was sort of part one, sort of. And uh, there would be a part two today. So really what I want to look at today, last week I talked about our roles, our responsibilities, the five positions that I think you see, or roles or whatever that you see in verse 11. Remember the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. But I want to look at a more practical side of it this morning. And let's take us back to something we were looking at oh, about three years ago. You remember this guy? The guy standing in front of the mirror and contemplating himself. James chapter 1, verse 25. Who so looks into, and the idea is gazes into, the mirror, that is the law of liberty, and continues within it. And not being a forgetful hearer. Remember phrases like that from James 1. So here is the guy, and he's looking at himself from a spiritual standpoint. And he begins to see his reflection. He's honest about it. Remember that whole year. We, we talked about how important it was to honestly evaluate, to know who you were and where you were in this life and where you needed to go. We talked about goals and all of that kind of thing. So if we're doing that, and we're looking at last week's lesson, or maybe we're reading Ephesians chapter 4, we're saying to ourselves, I have a place to fill. I need to be part of a group of people who are edifying the body of Christ. Remember, shouldering the responsibility, whoever I am, if I was an apostle in the first century or I'm a Christian today who knows something and has gotten to the point with the ability to teach something, I have a place to fill. And I need to be asking myself that question, what is my role in teaching the truth? And I need to shoulder that responsibility. And, you know, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, the idea of perfecting or maturing the saints, I need to be part of that, of helping us all come to the image of Jesus Christ, and get closer and closer and closer to that. To get to the point where I'm sharing and I'm contributing so that we are not a lot of children tossed to and fro and the slight or the cunning or the craftiness of men able to deceive us. 
But all of us contributing together, the joint, the marrow, remember it all hinges on each of us taking our part. So I'm looking at that and I'm asking myself that question. And I'm also understanding that there are very strong passages. I'd like you to read with me 2 Timothy 2. And I'm going to turn to uh, verse 24 of that chapter. And where Paul says, the servant of the Lord. Now that's all of us. That doesn't matter who we are or what capacity we're serving. We might be an elder, a pastor, you know, a bishop. We might be an evangelist. We might be a teacher. We might be a classroom teacher. I mean, one of the Bible classes here. We might be someone who's just teaching in everyday circumstances, which I happen to think is maybe about as powerful and maybe the most powerful thing any of us do. But if I'm that person and I'm the servant of the Lord and I'm filling my place, notice what Paul says. The servant of the Lord must not strive. It is so easy. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if you're a preacher, if you're an elder, if you're the guy that's you know standing on a street corner somewhere that you happen to meet your friend downtown. You know, just walk up on each other and you're talking. It is so easy to fight about the Word of God. That seems to be something that's natural to most people. I have something. I believe it. I believe it strongly. I hold it. It's a conviction. And the next easy leap is for us to fight about it. Oh, you believe differently than I do. So we begin to discuss. Discuss gets heated sometimes. Or discuss gets pointed sometimes. And now it's turned into not teaching, but it has turned into I'm back in a corner with it. I'm defending myself with it. Must not strive. You can't fight when you're trying to be a teacher and fill a place. Notice how he backs that up by saying, but be gentle unto all men, or everyone, literally. You must, as a servant of the Lord, be apt to teach. What does apt mean? Well, it means able. But it also carries with it the idea of ready. So I am someone who is serving the Lord. I'm able to teach. Maybe not everything. There would certainly be things you could ask me, and I, I don't know the answer. I can say to you, you know, I'll try to get an answer and get back to you, but I don't know. But I've got to be ready to teach. And certainly ready to teach what I do know. And I've got to be patient. This idea of patient here is the idea that you have to put up with some things out of other people sometimes. You have to put up with their lack of knowledge. Sometimes you have to put up with people not being what they're supposed to be. But you, as a servant of the Lord, He's already told you how to be. And notice how he goes on to say, the reason for it, in meekness. You know what meekness means in a very real sense, a very simple sense, is I'm strong. If I've got the truth about something, I have a strength. I'm strong, but keep it under restraint. I always think about Jesus. You know, I'm someone who would tend, especially when I was younger, I'd run on at the mouth. I want to tell you everything I know about whatever it is I know, and especially if you ask me, and to the point that people would be like, you know, <laughs> people would be like, Michael, I want to ask you a question, but I want you to hold it to so-and-so, you know, five minutes or whatever. You learn as you get older that there's got to be some restraint. I quote to myself Jesus saying, I have many things to say to you. But I'm not going to say them right now, you know. You're not going to get everything right now. And, and there's a lot of maturity that goes into that. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God perhaps, or peradventure the King James says, 
will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What's the goal here? That they may recover themselves. I want you to notice something there in verse 26. And bear this in mind the whole lesson. It does not say, okay, that you may recover them from the snare of the devil. It does not say that. It says, you as an able and ready teacher will instruct someone so that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by it. And if you do your job, what you do is you give a little bit of the ability with the word of God you're sharing, you give a little bit of the ability for another person to do what the Bible really teaches, and that is use the word of God to save yourself. It is my job to teach, to instruct, to help. So I might ask the question, what threatens truth in any congregation? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2 says to a church, you, you Corinthians, you members of the church, you are our, Paul says, our epistles that are known and read basically by everybody. And that's true. The Church of East Orange has walking, living, breathing epistles that people read. And they do every day. They read you. And we understand that because sometimes we, we talk about the people that are the closest to us. They read us like a book. You know, the truth is, everyone reads you like a book. Everyone. And they read you when they know you are a Christian. They read you to see if Christ is really in you. And that's the question they're asking. Oh, you're a Christian. You're telling me to be a Christian. And you may not say that every day, but they take it that way. You're a Christian and you're telling me to be a Christian, so let's see what Jesus has done for you. I'm not going to look it up. You know, I know you say, look in the Bible, don't look at me, Michael, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look at you. Now, we may not think that's fair, and we may not want that to be the truth, but that's the way it is. So if that's so, and we are all living, breathing, walking, talking epistles of God, what threatens truth in any congregation? I want to suggest some things to you, not everything under the sun. But I want to suggest to you that one of the quickest ways to kill enthusiasm about a church is just have lack of interest. Show the world that you read this out of me. I don't care. I'm not that concerned. I'm not committed I won't make a commitment. Other things take precedence, priority. It's not important to me. I will show you by what I do that a lot of other things, many other things, every other thing is more important to me. And the message I will give across to you is the truth is not important. Have no willingness to take part, to do what you're capable of doing. We all have that place to fill you know, 1 Corinthians 12, we quoted that so much when we were looking at that in what is my purpose and all of that, that theme. I'm a foot. I'm a hand. I'm the nose. I'm the eye. All of us here are something. Don't do what you're capable of doing. Don't do what the Lord has given you to do. And the truth will not be disseminated. At least what part you're supposed to be bringing to the table. Another thing that threatens truth is jealousy. Envy overrules. That was the whole point in Corinth, wasn't it? First Corinthians 12, verse 14. That's what Paul was saying with that foot, eye, hand, nose, ear, etc. Paul was saying everybody has a role to fill. And if you look at the end of that chapter, that's when he gets into talking about some people are apostles, some people are prophets, some people have this gift, some people have that one. 
you get jealous and envious of other people's gifts. Oh, I wish I was that person. Or I'd rather be doing that. Or I want to do that. Or I know God said do this, but I can do that better than that person can. When it gets into that, then what people see is people care more about themselves and tooting their own horn than they do God. And I don't want to be part of that. You know, I can go to any organization on earth, be it political or social or whatever it might be, and I can see people doing that. I don't want to go to church and be part of it at church. And so I just won't. So what threatens truth in a congregation? Fight about, be jealous, envious over what the next person does, rather than being glad God has given someone the ability to do that, you contributing your part, that person contributing their part, and boy, how strong we would be if that happened. What threatens truth in a congregation? Partyism. Favoritism. The diatrophy syndrome. And you can look up on the internet, and I did this to check to make sure, people discuss the diatrophy syndrome. What is that? Well, Diotrephes was a guy in 3 John. And this guy, as the Bible said, loved to have the preeminence. And I think that tells the whole story. He loved to be first. And everybody around this guy knew this guy wants to be first. And in fact, this guy wanted to be first to the point that the Apostle John was second. <laughs> John came behind Diotrephes. Everybody came behind Diotrephes. You know, one of the things that I would say to someone is exactly what Jesus would say to a person who wants to be first. If you want to be first, and you fight to be first, and you insist on being first, in the minds and the eyes and the hearts of people, you will be last. Because nobody likes that. I used to run around as a little idiot. Truth. And I used to say, me first. Nobody second. Maybe somebody runs a close third. I thought it was funny. It was stupid. It was really stupid. And you grow older and you realize there's only one first. And that's Jesus. Only one person deserves to be first. And that's because he humbled himself more than anybody here. He deserves to be first. We are all together second. But even the Lord himself would elevate us to be equal to himself. To be a joint heir with him. So what does that say to us when we're like a diatrophies and i got to be first? What threatens truth in any congregation? Well, divisive or divisive disputes. Internal fighting. And what does I put in parentheses here? Disrupt, disruptions in an assembly because of personal views. I want to tell you a story. There is a church in Tennessee, Montel, Juliet, both know, we've been there several times. Montel went there as a child. This was a thriving congregation until they started fighting over different things. And I'll tell you how bad the fight got. One Sunday morning, the men stood at the table, just like you saw a man standing here. And one guy on one side of the room I think it was this one, as I've been told, but I don't know. But one was on one side of the table and another was on the other one with a couple of other guys. And they got into it at the table. Now that's bad. 
But what was really bad was when it got heated and one hit the other one and knocked him down. Now, when you have a church that's fighting like that, you will see a mass exodus. And that's what happened there. It is no longer a thriving congregation. It's been struggling the whole time Montel and I have been married. It happened shortly before we were married. And they continued to struggle because they thought it was important to fight each other over what they believed. To the point, literally, of this blow. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And let's listen to the wisdom of God as he talks about this kind of thing. Now in Galatians 5, Paul is talking about some disputes that have written. And they've gotten heated there. They're fighting over doctrine. And most of the time in churches when people fight, even when they come to fist blows at the, the Lord's table, it started out as a fight over doctrine. It did there in Tennessee. Paul says this in Galatians 5, drop down to verse 12. As he talks about these troubling teachers that have crept in, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. But he says, but, but brethren, you've been called unto liberty, freedom. Only don't use your freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now I want to make an application. I don't think this is the only one you can make here. But I think it is one you can make. Everybody that's here this morning is here as a volunteer. No one was drafted into this church. No one was conscripted into this church. Nobody forces you to be here. Oh, you may be a little kid and you were forced. But no one forces any adult here to be here. You're here because you choose to be here. You have freedom to come and go. You can be a member here as long as you obey the gospel, obviously. You can be a member here or you can choose not to be a member here. No one makes you serve the Lord at East Arm. But don't use your freedom of being a free member who can come and go and choose to do what you please. Don't use that as an occasion for the flesh. I would say getting mad enough to knock down your brother at the Lord's table is an occasion to the flesh. Don't use your freedom. But by love, serve one another. If I were standing at the Lord's table, I would like to think that if I were getting angry or I were already angry at a brother before I walked up there, that before I knocked him down, I would be thinking, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How does it come to stuff like that? How do people hate each other for years? How do members of the church sit in a church building... Look across the aisle, see a person they haven't spoken to for 20 years and will not speak to. How does it come to that? By love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour, you eat up each other with all your envy, with all your anger, with all your hatred, with all your fighting. You eat each other up. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Because if that's what's ruling in a congregation, then what's going to happen is you are going to look around someday, or your kids are, and there's not going to be a church here. And is that what we really want? What threatens truth in a congregation? Nothing attracts people quicker than peace. There's little enough on it on, of it on this earth. And to find a congregation of people that are at peace. I hear that from visitors. You know, people will come here and they'll walk out of here and they'll talk about the atmosphere that was in here. 
They want to come back when that's the case. But nothing drives people away faster than problems. Oh, you guys got problems? I don't need to be here. I don't want any part of that. I've seen churches in my lifetime be robust and growing and everything moving in the right direction. And I mean everything. And then trouble hits. Problems come up. People lose sight of why we're here in the first place. And watch it go all the way down. One-fifth or less of the people that were there just a few weeks ago. It happens. We all know it does. I'll tell you something else that threatens truth in a congregation, and that's immorality. Now, we're human beings. I have been extremely immoral in my life. That's the truth. Other people in this room have been immoral in their life. But when you become a Christian, you change. When you stand for Jesus Christ and you live for Jesus Christ, you live a moral life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be human. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. But you know, the worst thing that can happen in a church is when you begin to compromise. You begin, and you feel compelled, forced, to relax the standards. Because everybody's doing it. Everybody's not doing it. There are still people on this earth, regardless of the past, regardless of where they came from, they really repent. They change their life. And they live a moral life. And this church should be of the position, strong position, that we follow Jesus. It doesn't matter that it's the year 2017. It wouldn't matter if it was 1833 or if someday in the future there is a 2401. We follow Jesus. And Jesus' standards do not change. And Jesus teaches morality. If you're still in Galatians 5, you can see the verses that follow. And it talks about a lot of immorality that needs to be put out of your life and exchanged for what is moral. Matthew chapter 18, we become as little children. Little children are not immoral. You look around, you see these little kids that are here today, they're moral, and they're chaste, and they're pure, and they are exactly the way God wants us all to be. Be converted and become as a little child. Because if you're part of causing other people to stumble with your immorality, and that's what Matthew 18 is talking about. It would be better for you if someone tied a gigantic rock around your neck and sunk you in the sea. Because it threatens, it kills, it destroys the truth in a congregation. What threatens truth in a congregation? Disregard for the ultimate purpose of it all. Why are we here? Why am I here today? What am I here to be doing? Yes, to observe the Lord's Supper, but what is that? To remember the body and blood of Jesus. Yes, why? Because that blood cleanses me of my sins. That body gives me a reason to live. That sacrifice, as James so eloquently talked about, was given by God so that I don't die, I'm not lost, and I go to heaven. That's why we're here. And when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the truth, and the truth is destroyed in this place. It will not be the pillar and ground of the truth. So I start by saying this. And I'm going to make this last point. I'll start by saying this. If you're in Galatians, you might turn a few pages over to Philippians chapter 2. Where Paul talks about you living with the Word of God on a daily basis. And you'll notice down in Philippians 2 and verse 16, 
when he will say, you hold before you, and I know the King James says holding forth the word of life, but you hold it forth, that is, before you, that I, he says, may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, because I taught you to take the word of God and hold it right here in front of your face. That's what I taught you. Now, I suggest to you that there are two ways you can approach the world with the Word of God. Like that, or like that. And no, that is not Wesson me, incidentally. But you can approach the Word of God either one of those ways. And that the world is well aware of how you approach them on a daily basis. Do you go out there like... That guy that sort of resembles me. Do you go out there like that guy with a Bible and point to everybody else and say, this is what you should be doing? Do you do that to your fellow members here? Or do you go around and live your life, that is even before the members that are here, but live your life every day as though you were walking around. I'm not saying you literally are doing this sometimes. But you're as though you were walking around always with a Bible looking at it intently and saying, this is what I need to be doing. Because that's the example. And that's what Philippians 2 is telling us to do. Do we tell others what to do, or do we show others what we do and teach them by what we do? Let me continue to make that point. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Now, we emphasized this last year. And I'm going to put some things up that I had up last year. I'll change them a little bit. I'm going to put some things up that I had last year. Because this is a passage that talks about, you are the light of the world. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. So, in this passage, I believe what Jesus is saying is, if you're my disciples, you go out and you remember that you are a Christian every day in every situation. Now, what does that mean? That means when you get up in the morning, if you go to school with your classmates, etc., you are saying to yourself... I didn't leave Christianity yesterday at the church building. I am a Christian today in this situation. If you go into a job, if you have a business, whatever you do, you get up and you see your wife in the morning. I am a Christian every day in every situation, whether I'm with other people or I'm by myself, no matter who I'm with, with you know, who I'm with, etc. I am a Christian every day. And so there are things that need to stand out in my mind. Number one, the golden rule. Why do we call it the golden rule? You know, that's the passage, of course, that says, do unto others not as they do unto you, but as you would have them to do unto you. Why do we do that? Why do we say that's the golden rule? Because wouldn't life be great? Can you imagine, just try to imagine, one situation in your life where everybody in the situation was trying to do what they think and what they would have everybody else do. Man, what a situation that would be. I'll give you a prime example. Let's say you're at a holiday, a Thanksgiving. You know, family comes together. I don't know what your family's like, but I can tell you when mine comes together, there's always a threat. You know what I mean? And if we all went into that and we said, you know what, let's treat everybody today, this whole day, like I'd want to be treated. And everybody did that. Can you imagine what kind of family get together you'd have? Wouldn't it be great? Let's take it back to that church in Tennessee. If every one of those guys, and especially those two that got into it at the Lord's table, if they'd walked up there saying, you know what? 
I disagree with this guy over here about some things, and I disagree strongly, but I'm going to treat him like I want him to treat me. There might be a thriving church there today. Probably would be today. You need to remember also, be an example. I am that epistle of men. Somebody's looking at me. Somebody's reading me like a book. Somebody's asking me, what's Jesus done for you? Show me why I ought to be a Christian. You need to keep your priorities straight. Nothing is more important than seeking first the kingdom of God. What would this church be like in this area of millions and millions of people if everybody here put the church first before everything else? Just saying. What's right? Everything you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Colossians 3. That honesty, integrity. You know, Demosthenes walked through the the streets of ancient Athens looking for an honest guy, just one. Finally decided, he was a cynic, obviously. Finally decided there are no honest people. But you know, people say the same thing. Can't trust anybody. People will lie. As a preacher once said to me, good brethren will lie. Honesty, integrity. If people told the truth, if people acted honestly with one another, how many times are we told in the Bible, these two passages and others, to just be honest? Say what you mean, mean what you say, tell the truth when you tell it. Be honest with each other. If you knew you could, just this room full of people, if you knew there were just this many people in life that you could trust. And I'll ask you a hard question, and I don't want anybody to answer. Do you trust everybody that's in this room? And then honestly ask yourself this question. Does everybody in this room trust me? Why? Let's make a, a further point about Matthew 5. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. Now, you saw this illustration last year. Let me make some points, though, about it and in application to what we're talking about today. Few things season like salt. We all know that. You know, you taste something. You know, lately Montel's been like, she, she's been enjoying experimenting with food. So Jules and I may eat something. We're like, what's in here? You know, and we're trying to figure out what spice is in the food. This, you see, last time she made this, this was not in here. What's in it? But if salt is in something, out of all the other things that are in there, you know it. I mean, salt is just a thing you take notice of. And that's the way it ought to be. Because it stands out as a flavor. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You are. You ought to stand out in life. When salt is in something, you know it's there. And people ought to know you're there. Now, I don't mean by that. You're that guy, you know, pointing and telling everyone. That's not the way you know someone's there. It's just the difference. Maybe you're in, an, in a family situation or a work situation or a school situation and people, everybody is doing it except for that person. And you know, when people need a friend, it ought to be the Christian they think of. When someone needs honesty, it ought to be the Christian they think of. When someone needs a good example of what it means to be the way we're all supposed to be, it ought to be the Christian they think of. In every situation. Because immediately you know if there's too much salt in something or there's not enough. 
You know that. You taste it. You know if you need to add a little salt or whoa, they put too much salt in this. I splurged the other day. I did wrong. I bought a pack of Cheetos. <laughs> Sorry. But craving was too much. I had to have those Cheetos that day. And before you ask, I'm still at my lowest weight, so I'm doing all right, okay? But man, I don't know what happened at the factory. Those things were loaded with salt. And so I'm imagining the factory, and I'm imagining the machine, and I'm imagining somebody neglecting what they're supposed to be doing, and the salt bath just pours over into that batch. Because they were salty, man. You know if there's too much of it, not enough. That ought to be me. I should be noticeable. And it should be just the right amount of salt. Salt doesn't need to lose its ability to season like we need. And you also saw this. You are the light of the world. Matthew 55 and verses 14 through 16. Let's make some points about the light. The purpose of light is to shine. Right? There's nothing earth-shattering earth, uh, about that. Our job as a Christian is to shine forth. But we're shining Jesus. Not self. I'm not attracting. If you look at that passage, the attention is not being drawn to me. It's being, a, it's being drawn to the thing I do because it reflects God. And someone needs to see that in my life. I'd always be able to see the light, you know. It shouldn't be hidden anywhere in any situation. When you enter a place, immediately, you're drawn to the source of the light. If you entered a dark room and there's light in that room... You can't help it as a human being. You're scanning around. Where's the light coming from? There's some lamp. There's some candle. There's some something that's giving some light, and you're drawn to that. But you take notice if it's too dim. And you'll find yourself immediately saying, there's not enough light in here. Or you'll find yourself immediately saying, there's too much light in here. And you'll start adjusting accordingly. That's you. That's me. You know, if I'm the person as a Christian that's not assuming my role, not taking my position, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, there's not enough light wherever I am. And people notice that. People notice when there's no difference between me and anybody else. But they also notice if I'm that guy out there, you know, do this, like I say, and they run from it. It's too bright. It's just like you when you say, wow, that's bright. Got to shut some of that out. And people do the same thing with us when we're overpowered. If it's doing what it should, it's giving the proper amount of light to everything around it. It's just what it needs to be. And as Jesus said, let your light so shine. Let it shine like that before men. Three verses quickly and I'm closing. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, you are children of light. Walk as dear children of God. In Philippians 2, as we already looked at, here's the idea of you living your life with a Bible before you. You are working out your salvation. And by example, leading other people to do the same. And in Proverbs chapter 4, and verse 18, you're standing for the light. You're giving the light. You're the one that is the source of the light to those around you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, God still has a place for you. You might look at your life like I once did and say, there's no way, Dale. I I can't be a Christian. You just don't understand. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I've done. 
I figure I racked up enough sins by the age of 17, last three or four lifetimes. You just don't know. I, I can't be a Christian. I can't change all that. I can't make up for all that. And what Dale was saying to me is, you can with the Lord. You can be exactly what the Lord wants you to be. He's not asking you to be me. He's not asking you to be Jeff. He's not asking you to be anybody else. He's asking you to be what He meant for you to be. And you can do that. You believe in Jesus and you'll confess that belief. And you're willing to change your life and live your life for the Lord. Be that light and be that salt of the earth. And take your place to give truth to this world. Disseminate the truth. You'll be baptized. Your sins will be washed away. And you will be what the Lord wants you to be. Won't you please come? I'll be standing